Buenos, hello everybody. I'm uh, I'm back with uh, another edition of the Five Bugle Ramblings podcast. This is episode seven. This podcast is aimed at the members of the Summit Fire Medical District and the Flagstaff Fire Department. I'm your host, Mark Gaylord, and uh, I'm the fire chief for both these great organizations. And it's a pleasure to uh, uh, serve as their chief. And uh, I'm uh, here to present some uh, pretty uh, special segments today with some really special folks. And I hope you enjoy it. I'd like to start with a uh, book review first. I recently uh, read a book called uh, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. My kid uh, gave me a copy his copy of the book to read. He bought the book after he listened to Goggins on a podcast. And he really enjoyed Goggins and he really enjoyed the book. It sat around my house for quite a while before I picked it up at a recent uh, opportunity uh, recently over a weekend and I had an opportunity to read it and I really enjoyed it. Uh, first thing you need to know about Goggins is he is a complete savage in every sense of the word in in his book he talks about his journey from a really difficult childhood and um just uh unbelievably uh difficult situations and i mean as a as a very young child and uh through through that experience uh gets into the military and then uh um decides that uh being a, a seal team member is is for him and what it took for him to even even have the opportunity to attempt to become a, a Navy SEAL. And then after that, um, his uh, efforts to um, be an elite athlete in, in the ultra in the ultra running uh, field. And, and, and that's just a, a slight uh, oversimplification of uh, his story. It, it is just uh, really uh, a great book. And he... Um, well, let me give you a sense of his mindset. Here's a couple of quotes that uh, are attributed to him. So uh, he states that pain unlocks a secret doorway in the mind, one that leads to both peak performance and beautiful silence. He also says, I don't stop when I'm tired. I stop when I'm done. In his book, Goggins talks about his journey through adversity, and then he maps out strategies that we can consider and we can employ to achieve next-level performance in any pursuit that we might uh, have or things that are important to us. I found his book to be inspiring and a a real page-turner, but you must be warned, uh, Goggins is profane with a capital P, and if this bothers you, maybe don't pick up that book, but I've got another one for you. I suggest... uh, this book is called uh, Confessions of an All-Night Runner by a guy named Dean uh, Carnizes. And uh, forgive me if I don't pronounce that exactly right, but Dean Carnizes. And I'll put a little uh, note in the back if you want to look up either one of these books. But Carnizes uh, is also another guy out of the ultra-running camp who is uh, quite inspiring when you read his story. Um, things that he has said that gives you a sense of where he's at. Um, he stated, run when you can, walk if you have to, crawl if you must, just never give up. And then uh, a little darker uh, insight into uh, his story and his, uh, his writing is, struggling and suffering are the essence of a life worth living. 
this guy's in the same lane as Goggins, perhaps a little less profane. So either one of those books are really good reads, and I enjoyed both of them. So I hope uh, you'll take a look at some of those if you're uh, looking for a little uh, leisure reading. Okay, um, so I've got a couple of segments in this podcast that were really a lot of fun for me. The first one's going to be a conversation with Dennis Compton. Chief Compton is a very influential person on on me personally, on my approach to how I do my job. I've been blessed to have him as a mentor for a long time, and and then to have him agree to join us on this podcast, I uh, I was pretty excited about that. If you've been listening, uh, you know we've been discussing one of the concepts that he introduced for bosses engaged in leadership and management that calls for us to, to uh, keep our folks and quite honestly, keep ourselves positive, productive, safe, and healthy. Uh, in this podcast, he wraps up the trilogy, so I was pretty excited to have him do that. I also asked him to share a concept that links to our recent speaker in the Officer Development Program, Robert O'Neill. Um, Chief Compton uh, has a parallel that I think you'll you'll enjoy. He's uh, His bio is in the back, and he has... Uh, couple of books that he's been the author of. I'll put some uh, links in there for you to 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 uh, possibly take a look at if you'd like to grab one of his books. But uh, I, uh, I hope you enjoy that. Then in the second segment, I got to spend some time with a couple friends who recently retired from uh, Team Flagstaff. Kevin Treadway uh, retired as our police chief and Brad Hill retired as our water services director. I I was really I felt very fortunate to work with these guys and I have the utmost respect for their service their body of work and and I really um, really enjoyed just spending some time with these cats and um, asking them to share a little bit about their perspective before they left so I hope you enjoy that as well so here's Chief Compton and I apologize right now in advance for uh, there might be a bit of a high-pitched squeal in parts of this segment. And I employed every skill set that I had, which is to say limited, and tried to get that thing edited out of there. But I think it's still going to be present in parts of this. And I know it will be irritating, but I will tell you, uh, it. it listen to the words of Chief Compton and... Uh, and try your best to avoid that. Apologize in advance for uh, any uh, discomfort of that squeal. I will tell you this. It's better than it was before I tried to get it out. Um, but uh, nonetheless, um, here is Chief Compton. Okay, we're back. Um, I am uh, pretty excited to introduce to everyone uh, today a very special guest uh, who's agreed to come in uh, participate in this glorious experiment called my podcast and I really appreciate uh, Dennis Compton coming in and being here today um, and I, I know I've shared a little bit of an introduction about all of Dennis's uh, accomplishments and all the engagement and the service and that he has provided to improve the fire service and safety and the well-being of firefighters and and um, so, I mean, it's a long list, but I wanted to make sure everyone knew because I always identify people, but um, Dennis is uh, clearly, I view him as a, a very uh, key mentor in my in my personal uh, pursuits in this career. And, and I know he is that way for so many uh, of my contemporaries and people that um, 
are working today and, and maybe a couple of them that stopped working already. But um, we, we've been uh, influenced by Dennis for a long time. And uh, thanks for being here. I really appreciate you being here, Dennis. Thank you for inviting me, Mark. I was, I was thinking today before, uh, before we started that I think I've known you since you started, since you began. Yes. Uh, yeah. And it's just been a real pleasure to watch you develop and grow over the years. I, I truly believe that, that you are one of the key leaders in the state of Arizona in the fire service. And, uh, and I am so proud of you for that. Well, I, that means a lot to hear that. And I, I do appreciate that. That's very, those are kind words. And, um, but you know, uh, Dennis, we, we've been uh, on this podcast, I've been introducing a concept that um, I heard you um, share uh, numerous times in all the work that you've done. And uh, we were for a number of years involved in a, uh, uh, a leadership program at the fire school. And one of the things you always talked about, in fact, uh, that course I think is uh, still um, when we have fire school, um, that, that course is still uh, going on. And it's got an interesting uh, nexus to Flagstaff. I don't know if you know this or not, but the very first offering of that course was, uh, you know, I kind of pieced it together for the fire committee. And I, I said, I think this is a need that we have. And they authorized me to pilot the course, but I wasn't allowed to staff it. So I had to go find somebody. And the first lead instructor was a guy named Mike Bradley, who was the fire chief new from California and he was the fire chief of Flagstaff and uh, he came down and really helped us get that off the ground and and at some point in time very early on um, you were the cleanup hitter on Sunday mornings and uh, this is one of the places where we we were introduced to this concept of uh, you know our responsibilities as bosses to keep our folks positive productive and safe and these days we say safe and healthy because of the emphasis on and importance on uh, uh, mental health for our firefighters. And, and so, you know, we've, we've kind of covered uh, the, what does that mean? How do I as a boss uh, stay positive and keep my people positive? We've kind of gone over a little bit about, and I had some uh, folks come in, some, some of our company officers from Flagstaff and Summit Fire District come in and talk to us about, you know, success behaviors for these bosses as far as staying productive today on the topic of, and, and on the overall topic, uh, certainly wouldn't want to limit you, but on the topic of, you know, how do we, how do we go about being somebody's boss and really um, deal with this idea that we have a responsibility to keep them safe and healthy. I wondered if you could share some thoughts with us on that. Well, actually that whole concept that you just talked about, Mark, is a, is a leadership concept more than anything else. Leadership and management. Fine. And the essence of it is, and, the, and, and from where I, I, I created it, is that uh, if it's true that leadership is the ability to influence people's behavior and performance, that's true. And, and I think it is. Okay. Great. And influence them to do what? And and I think that the that there are so many distractions that occur in day to day life in a fire department at home and everywhere else. Uh, 
even for a fire chief, you get distracted from what you wish you could spend your time doing every day. Okay, but, but, uh, but a key for us is to be able to refocus ourselves on what really matters most. And what really matters most is the ability to influence people's behavior and performance by maintaining a positive, productive, safe and healthy environment for people to perform the mission and deliver service. And if you look at it in that context, instead of it being kind of a cliche, <clears throat> then I think it starts to make sense. Okay? Right. I really do. Uh, the safe and healthy portion of that, uh, you know, I kind of, I have to go way back to, to uh, where I learned some lessons that uh, have really helped me along the way. And when I was in high school, uh, I worked as a night manager at a, at a fast food restaurant. It was called Sandy's and it was in Maryville <clears throat> in Phoenix. Played sports, all kinds of stuff, but two, two nights a week I worked there. Uh, and most of the people who worked there were athletes who had those part-time jobs. Okay? I knew them all. And for me to get anything done there and not rob the place blind, you had to learn how to supervise your friends. <laughs> <laughs> Good training for the fire service. It was perfect training for any <laughs> because you, because, uh, that, that buddy to boss thing that people talk about all the time, you know, I was like 16 years old and, uh, and it hit me hard one day that, uh, that I better learn how to do that or I'm not going to be here very long. Right. Right. And, and do it effectively, you know? So, so, so part of it was the, was from a customer service standpoint, how, how do you, how do you maintain a positive uh, approach to your work throughout your career? challenge for us in the fire service, I think, and it's a blessing and a curse all at the same time, is that we hang around forever. <laughs> in the fire yep. People don't leave. Okay? You read all this stuff about people doing five-year careers and then they go do something else and then they go do something else. That's fine for whoever wrote those books, but that does not describe the fire service. To this day, it does not. Never has, and to this day, it does not. People who become firefighters tend to stay in the fire service. So you're going to spend anywhere from 25 to 35. For me, this is my 50th year in the fire service. Holy cow. You're going to spend, uh, at the end of this year, every 50 years, you're going to spend the majority of your adult work life doing the same thing. Now, for all the good things that come along with that, the fellowship, the camaraderie, the commitment, the, the benefits and pay and all that stuff, and self-esteem, the downside of that is how in the hell do you help people stay positive, productive, healthy, and safe for 35 years? Because that is just as important on their last day as it was on their first day. Right, right. 
Okay. So that's kind of the concept of where all this comes from. It's not, like I said, it's not a cliche that you just pull out of the sky and, and this is what you need to do. Is it, is it from a leadership standpoint, if you can focus yourself as much as possible, you're going to get distracted. If right. you can focus yourself as much as possible on those three things. Uh, your, your work group is going to be more effective and you are going to be more effective in leading them. And sometimes it's hard to do, but you need to do it. And as far as uh, how do you keep people health, safe and healthy throughout that long career, uh, another challenge in it for us, and it's a systemic challenge, is, is, uh, is how many days do you come to work uh, and nothing much happens? Uh, it is really a, a hazard <laughs> mm -hmm. to you. You know, very much so. We see that in in many locations where you know um, problems don't appear to bubble up from the floor of the busy station, but they sure do. Where there's not a lot of direct calls and a lot of call volume, and and we we see the challenge. You know, and I I use the example. You know, I I talk about uh, fire rescue one net. You know, it's this, it's this, you know, splendid source of uh, looking at, uh, if you want to study leadership and, and being a boss and management, there's so many examples of where it's gone epically wrong on Fire Rescue One Net. <laughs> you can go in there and we see these terrible train wrecks that are occurring inside of fire departments. Typically, it's not at a call. It's back at the station. And typically, you know, our first question is, well, where's the supervisor? If you just read a little bit further down, oh, the supervisor was involved in the shenanigans. And so, you know, there's, there's, that is part of that challenge to stay engaged and uh, operating as the, uh, as the, uh, uh, you know, the, the boss that creates engagement in the firehouse. So. So, but I, I just see that as an example we use a lot when we talk about it. Yeah, and, and it's creating that environment and, and maintaining that environment because being, being being slow at a station is one thing. And I, and I think we're doing this uh, interview, if you will, uh, for all firefighters. So it's not just firefighters that work in big cities not just firefighters that work in medium-sized cities, not just the ones who work in small departments, not just volunteers and combination people, but all firefighters. Right. You know? and, th and that problem manifests itself differently in different fire departments because of the, of the volume of activity. Right, right. And you're exactly right. You know, the, 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 the stations that I would see having way too much time on their hands to do things other than what they were being paid to do. Uh, we're the ones who did not have a lot of activity. Right. And, the, and the captain and the battalion chief and the department leaders didn't create enough activity to help them along with that. And I'm not talking about busy work. I'm talking about preparation. Because when I said that, that, that there are some days you come to work and you're there are many days you come to work and during that 24 hour period or however long it is, you may not really engage in anything that's really a significant hazard to you. 
Right, right. And, and that builds, as you well know, complacency. And, and it's that time when we leave that fire station or even in that fire station, when we do not have our mind on what we're doing, we have not committed ourselves to focus on what's going on. Uh, we, uh, we think everything's just gonna be like the last one was. Right, and right. Then something happens. And that's really how, how this safety and health, health and safety issue uh, comes into play because because you think of all the things a fire department does with their crew members every day in this country I mean think of all the calls that are dispatched every day in this country and on and some of those calls uh, we get away with things from a safety standpoint that we should not have done we get away with it and then we get away with it. And then we get away with it. And then we get away with it. And then comes a day when, uh, when you do that very same thing again. And this time, the people involved didn't get away with it. And you have what is typically called a crisis. <laughs> right, right. And I'll give you an example. And I don't make things up. I think I've told you that before. You don't have. Yeah. To. <laughs> I think I've heard that. <laughs> to make sure that one point where it's at and who did it. But if you look at a, at a fire company that gets dispatched to a natural gas leak, you think of how many times that you've been to natural gas leaks that turned out to be what? Yeah. Yeah. You maybe stood by to. Gas company got there, shut off a line, or you shut it off yourself, whatever. It was, it was an odor of gas. Uh, and you go to a bunch of those over your career. And you're a, you're a captain now, and you have about 20 years on the job. You've been a captain for about eight of those. You've been to a ton of those calls. And you arrive at one that you've been dispatched on, and your mindset from the standpoint of safety is that I'm going to another one of those natural gas leaks. I've been to a hundred of these things. Only two of them ever amounted to anything. Therefore, in your mind, this one probably won't amount to anything. And now you're responding. When you get on that call, and, uh, and let me, I'll use the words that the citizen who witnessed it used when she was interviewed, okay? He said the, the firefighters got off the truck and they meandered, was her word, towards the building. And the next thing the fire department knew about what was going on there was this lady on, on the rig radio screaming that you better get someone out here. These firefighters are on fire. Okay. Two of the people involved in that, two of the firefighters involved in that did not survive. The engineer never worked in the line again. 
the captain did. But the captain would never forgive himself for that. I actually knew him personally. He would never forgive himself for that. Because we hire smart people. We really do. Right. We hire smart people. And he is a smart guy. And he knew inside what happened there. And as much as everybody said, hey, it could have happened to anybody, you did all you could, you, gotta, you can't carry this with you for the rest of your life. None of it registered, Mark. Because in his mind and in his soul, he knew what happened there that day. <clears throat> and he could not forgive himself for that. So he retired after about a year. And he shot himself about a year later. Oh, boy. Okay. So you backtrack a story like that. And I don't mean to awfulize some. But I'm talking about, you asked me, in fact, how does all that manifest itself? This, this health, this safe, this healthy and safe situation. How does a leader have anything to do with that? Right. You take that back to the beginning. What happened there was complacency. Period. It didn't have anything to do with being smart, dumb. That was not the first time that captain and crew had ever handled a natural gas leak like that. And they did the same thing there that they had done previously. This time it caught up with them. That's one example, and we could go into many more. I don't know if you wanted storytelling here today or not, but oh, I probably, I probably uh, am uh, encouraged by the storytelling a little bit. I, I, I just would would add to that. You know, we uh, during the pandemic this morning, for instance, we uh, we just had our seventy third command staff briefing. We've been coming on and we run the forty eight ninety six, and every first day of shift we come on and. We give an update on where the the impact of the coronavirus is across the world, and the, and then within the the nation and in the state and in our county, and you know, really, there was a lot of uh, tension when this first came out. We weren't sure if we knew how to take care of ourselves and our folks, so that we didn't, you know, we weren't impeded going out to to serve Mrs. Smith. We you know we didn't have all the answers we wanted, and it was a very uh, uh, tense time. Now, PPE, you know, we're on, we're on top of that. We put organizations in place to make sure the fire department can kind of plug into uh, PPE supply chains. We're more, you know, we have more information about how to protect ourselves and we've changed and put out interim policies. And, and so there's, uh, you know, we're in a, something of a groove and, so now what keeps me awake at night is is this issue that you're talking about now is without that tension of the unknown are we getting ready to to slide into complacency because we've uh, allowed ourselves to show more discretion on on calls or just kind of getting comfortable that okay we know how to protect ourselves so we use the words uh, uh, almost every shift briefing uh, we we say things like vigilance, and we say things like fighting complacency, and and um, the example you just gave, which is a phenomenal example, 
you know, it's it's aligned with the concern that we have now. When 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 uh, the risk of our job becomes somewhat commonplace, we can tend to slide into uh, behaviors that aren't safe anymore. And so, really, that's such a contemporary issue for us, um, and yet it's always been an issue for us. I think is kind of what the message I'm hearing from you today is. I. And I, you know, the other example that I always, I always use is, you know, we rely on captains to kind of help us roll out. I know you've been involved in firefighter safety for so long, and, uh, but roll out changes that are necessary for us to embrace. You know, I remember when I joined the, uh, as a volunteer firefighter, you know, wearing an SCBA was kind of optional. You know, it was, it was a, you you could do that if you felt like you needed to. And then we kind of went through that cultural shift of, oh, if you see smoke, don't breathe it where you're BA. And, you know, that's the new norm. And, and so part of keeping people safe is helping them embrace whatever that new norm is, whether that's, you know, in the old days, hey, we're going to sit inside the truck now and put a seatbelt on, or we're going to wear PPE. Um, there was a there was a big threat threshold when we started to wear rubber gloves at EMS calls. That was also optional at one time. And so now we're in this part where where you know, hey, you really need to to hook the vehicle exhaust system up to the truck. Um, and that's a that's an example in my mind because you know we've lost so many people. You know they work a career and then shortly after they're done and sometimes they don't even work that career and they've got cancer and you know they uh and you know that's an indicator and there's a whole movement now that we're trying to to implement cancer prevention initiatives and um that's that we need bosses and and leaders to help us move the bar on some of these big issues that help keep our people safe and healthy and and so that's that's really um, part of I, I think uh, the challenge that might be presented to when you're in a station being the boss of your friends, as you pointed out. So um, very timely. Look at look at COVID as a, as an example. My nephew's a firefighter in Phoenix. He caught it. he got it. he got it on duty. Uh, he was off for two weeks. And he's back at work now. He's fine, good. but he he's just kid. Okay. But what, what I thought about is uh, is imagine a a house fire, a good sized house fire, where you couldn't see everything you needed to see, and it was impossible to do a three sixty on a building. That's the way COVID was dropped on us, right? All we knew is there was a virus and it was contagious. You know, we still don't know the impact of that virus. If you think it was easy for the Big Ten and the Pac 12 to postpone their football season, right? You live in La La Land. <laughs> That would have almost taken an act of God. Right. 
and and they did it. If you listen to the presidents this morning, uh, they did it uh, because of related uh, symptoms that were not known previously. And they're concerned about heart damage and other issues surrounding COVID. Okay, That's where we're at with COVID as a, as a, as a fire department, is, is we still don't know. Right. We right. better remain vigilant because we don't know what we're dealing with. Right. Like a hazmat call that you have no idea what you're dealing with. And, and, and I can tell you another thing that complicates it, and, uh, and I've been speaking with several people about this. I never realized I had so many friends who were experts in epidemiology. <laughs> the problem is they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, it's... Uh... They hear something somewhere, and the next thing you know, we're all together somewhere, and we talk about it as if it's etched in concrete. And the fact of the matter is we're passing along information that can really get us in trouble. And, and, and so one of the challenges of a supervisor dealing with COVID is to make sure that people understand the situation that we're dealing with in the first place. Right. That's an unknown hazard. You are still dealing with an unknown hazard. And you better protect yourself as if it could really impact you and your family for the rest of your life which might, might not be all that long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well, COVID's a great example. Of it, but imagine a fire that you could not do a 360 on. It was impossible to get it done. Right. And now you're making decisions, you're placing people in positions. You have no idea what's going on over there. They can't hardly uh, communicate facts to you. Right, right. And you have uh, so many, uh, so many inputs from so many areas. Exactly. You know, yeah. We uh, scientists. I, I never realized I had you know, so many friends that were scientists. You know. <laughs> well, it's kind of like in the early two thousands. Every other firefighter was a realtor. You know, it's very similar. So. <laughs> and then throughout our careers, every, a lot of firefighters have been lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> and and a lot of that's all in fun. Yeah. This COVID thing, that is not in fun. It's no joke, as we yeah. say. No so yeah, I know it's uh it's uh and it has changed the way we work and do, you know, support and you know, this you and I are having this conversation with this is how I have pretty much most of my um uh, you know, my conversations with my bosses are like this and, you know, his, his uh, senior leadership meetings are like this. And, and you know, it's, it's, uh, it's changed. And we've got, um, you know, we got staff members who are not working from the office and they have uh, kids at home and they're starting school this week. And, you know, four kids in the house going to school so everybody's having to learn how to do it differently. I mean, I mean, you knew that the fire service could be creative and adapt. We knew that. Um, but uh, it, this has just been, we continue to use the word unprecedented. And oh, yeah. we've worn it out. But that's what it feels like. Um, that's, that's really a, a, uh, a good description of what we've been dealing with. And so in that unprecedented 
kind of environment, now we're starting to find the groove. And that's when I feel like, uh, you know, we may be opening ourselves up to a little bit more chaos or danger or risk than, than, uh, than we should. So we're going to have to negotiate that as well. So that's kind of why I brought this up because you find, you might be finding yourself in a groove that isn't accurate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. we don't know. We don't know. Right. You know? Right. We don't know. And, and anybody that says they do, like I said, what planet do you live on? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Scientists are stumped. Epidemiologists yeah. are stumped. They're learning more and more every day. Right, right. But you're right. I mean, the ability for us to kind of brief everybody on, um, here's how it's going to go. Yeah. We can't have those kind of, kind of, uh, plans in place because things are changing and most of it has to do with learning about what we're experiencing um, almost for now this is how we're going to respond to this based on what we know now from health professionals this right. is going to have where this is how we're going to deal with this but we need to make sure that we're open to change right change that can come rather quickly right i was attached in tappy <laughs> <laughs> think of it that way yeah that's a good the responsibilities of officers in dealing with this whole issue of health and safety i could go down a list of uh responsibilities but i don't think that's why i'm here they know them they know them already uh but it's one thing to know them and it's another thing to do them yes and it's, it's one thing to say that no one more important to me than my crew the safety of my crew but it's another thing to act that way. Right. And to lead that way every day. That's a good that's a good point. And I think we try to point that out when we're talking about what do those behaviors look like. And you know, for us it's you know, oftentimes it's you know what you compel your crew to do, what activities to engage in, but a whole lot of times it's what you won't allow to happen. <laughs> you know, especially Especially, you know, um, some of the train wrecks that we see in departments that occur uh, either off duty or, or even in the firehouse. Um, you know, my observation is we, t we tend to do a lot better out on the fire ground. We don't have surprises and our bosses, um, they go out and um, supervise and lead effectively. Um, a lot of times, some of the choices that are made away from those kind of calls are where we we run into problems. We oftentimes describe that on on what what standard is it that you hold to, and then is that through compelling people to meet that standard, or is it just uh, um, is it through your acts or your omissions? You know, is it through what you you uh, your commission or mission? is going to set the standard. And so we talk a little bit about what that looks like. You know, really good supervisors, they don't have to be oppressive, uh, but they do have to have high expectations. And that's one of the things that every supervisor, every boss has the ability to do with their folks is, is this is this is what's gonna be um, representing our work. And this is what we allow, and, and this is what we don't. We're, we're gonna stay customer focused today. Um, you know, so that's kind of, 
some of the discussion that we have when we talk about this concept. Um, the best supervisors I've ever seen uh, out in the field, whether they were captains or battalion chiefs, great coaches. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's not so much what you want, uh, it's what you do stand for. And, and there has to be a line. To be, for you to be a supervisor of other people, there has to be a line somewhere that, that you enforce. The department gives you a lot of those. They provide you with those. But the problem is, is there's, a, there's a lot of room in between them. <laughs> things to happen you know and 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 one of the things that that you and i and everybody listening to this cares about a lot is line of duty deaths of firefighters a lot but just based on this conversation that we're having right now we've been losing uh i i i, I stepped down as the chairman of the board of the national fallen firefighters i did that for 14 years i stepped down last august okay uh, we were losing about 80-some firefighters a year when I stepped down. Uh, when I became the chairman, this country was losing about 120. Okay. Now, cancer is going to skew that because we're counting them. And uh, if, they're, if, they're, uh, if they're authorized as line-of-duty deaths at the state level, we're counting them. So... So that's cute, but my point isn't all that. My point is, is that I stay connected with those guys all the time. And do you know that, that we are now over 80 line of duty deaths this year alone from COVID? We've been tracking that as well, yes. Already lost as many firefighters from COVID as we do in an entire year from all other things. And, we lose more firefighters every year from our fire departments from misbehavior than we do line of duty deaths. They lose their career. They lose their, they're gone. Yeah. It doesn't matter, but they're gone. They could have died. They're gone. <laughs> they're not at the fire department anymore. Right. They're right. gone. We lost them. Okay. And if you tack on psychological and emotional issues onto that. I think people would be shocked at how many first responders in their own lives every year based on issues. Some of those issues are job related, okay? So when you look at it in straightforward terms, <laughs> you know, an officer's job as far as keeping their people healthy and safe is pretty broad. It is very much so. And and those and those things that, that we started off this podcast talking about, they overlap. You know, most of the time when people misbehave, it wasn't their first time. Correct. Correct. Someone had a chance to intervene in that. Someone did. And they chose not to. For whatever reason, we don't need to go into that today, but for whatever reason, they didn't. Whether that be a captain who didn't or a 
battalion chief who didn't or the captain or whatever. It didn't happen. Right, right. So something else happens. That line I said that you, it has to be a line. You know, they keep stepping over that line. And each time it's a little longer step. And uh, Dennis, you probably promoted hundreds of, of people into supervisory ranks and management and leadership ranks. And, you know, and I, and I know, you know, particularly at the company officer, you know, the fire officer one level, um, people, people mean it with passion when they say, you know, my job is to protect my firefighters. I mean, I, I think we've been, I've been, my exposure to, you know, um, firefighters promoting through the ranks. I mean, that's one of the, that's one of the great takeaways is watching that happen. Absolutely. And, and so, you know, and so we, like you said, we hire smart people, we hire good people. Um, and so the, the new typical new supervisor really embraces that role of, I got to take care of these firefighters. And, you know, I think just a little broadening of perspective is all that, that we, we want to make sure that they understand that taking care of them means, um, and keeping them safe, keep their career safe too by that standard you talk, that line you're talking about. So, you know, you keep them safe on the hazard ground, but you keep them safe back at the fire station too, and you protect their career by, by helping them stay in the lane, by helping them, you know, stay focused on the customer and each other and our ability to do that. Um, and so I think that's really a, a, really a part of uh, this is the seeing the whole job, you know what I mean? I've been in search of perspective for over four years, and I I still I still need more. And and so when we get into this uh, this conversation about how to keep people safe, certainly I think we're talking a lot more about healthy in, in the context of mental health. We're aware of the suicide statistics that you just mentioned that you know we're losing first responders, and um, I've been involved in a couple of. Uh, uh, networking groups that have talked at, at length about two topics almost continuously. One of them is cancer prevention, the other one's mental health. And um, I, I've been involved in those conversations and come away much like the COVID. We got more questions than we got answers in some cases and really frustrated. But I think it's just important that folks kind of recognize you know, it's the whole package, the whole health. Uh, and then it's not only, you know, that health and well-being piece, but protect your firefighters' career in this thing that we all pinch ourselves that we still get to come and work and do. Um, you help them by keeping them, you know, in that narrow lane that uh, meet that line you were talking about so that they can continue to do that. So I did. I think that's part of this overall conversation. Well, it is. Absolutely it is. And, and, and when your mantra is that I enable my firefighters, the most important thing for me is that I enable my firefighters to screw up their careers in their lives. Yeah. And, yeah, you know? And, and you know, you, uh, it often doesn't show itself 
until the problem is so significant. Yes. That it's hard to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Yes. You know, in a lot of different ways. Uh, but I think we're getting better at that. I honestly do. I think our supervisors are, are, uh, are really improved. But we still have a long way to go. And do we? And the other question is: Do we, as chiefs, support them to the extent that they need supported? You know, right, right. We provide them with the tools to be successful in doing what you and I are talking about right now, because it's not easy. It's really not easy to deal with somebody when you're not happy with them. <laughs> I yeah. get that point across, and and uh, and it's not going so well. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's really not that easy. And and you're right when you say that it all comes, it all kind of goes together. Uh, I've been involved with <clears throat> the issues of firefighter cancer and psychological, emotional well-being for many years. Uh, in fact, I was. I, I, Put together and coordinated the Fire Service Occupational Cancer Alliance, which uh, brings all of the fire organizations, the IFF, the IFC, the, the volunteers, uh, NFDA, all of them together. Every year, two or three times a year, to work collectively on that stuff. Um, because we were all working separately. <laughs> right, right. And, uh, you know, the folklore doesn't help either. Fire department folklore is not our friend. Because again, these old stories run around the fire department about things that we did back in the day and how funny they were, or how outrageous they were. Right. No one got in trouble. But, but if you track a lot of that back, there was one thing that was not in place back then, that is in place today. That's called the internet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The ultimate game changer. The ultimate game changer in privacy. Yeah. And, in, uh, and, and you, you, know, you simply, it's changed everything. Right. So that's you know, a, uh, we live underneath a microscope. Literally. Dennis, let me, you just kind of reminded me of something. Let me just kind of shift gears. You know, you mentioned that you brought these groups together, these diverse groups together, you know, similar stakeholders, but diverse groups to talk about cancer and, and work on, on this uh, important issue. And then I, I know that you were, you were involved in, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I know you were involved in the formation of um in facilitation of the the what occurs today as the arizona fire service institute um which is uh our clearing house in arizona fire service labors there uh, volunteers are there metro chiefs districts and fire chiefs kind of to process and uh, develop a collective voice on matters of interest in the legislature and I'm pretty sure that you modeled that uh, work with us off your previous work with CFSI. Uh, and then I also know that you facilitated uh, a, uh, an effort um, 
probably in the late 90s where Arizona Fire Chiefs and um, PFFA sat down. There were some, uh, rightfully so, there was some concerns about the behaviors of uh, chiefs and, and, and labor leaders in parts of the state. And they, were, they were hurting each other. And so there was a call for, we need to work collaboratively. And you've been at the heart of a whole mess of collaborative efforts. Um, how is that? Um, you know, I, I, you've been really uh, uh, center stage on a lot of bringing dis disparate groups and stakeholders together. Um, any thoughts on how you find yourself to be in that kind of role and what you learned from it? Well, for one thing, I, I, uh, I enjoy doing that. It's very challenging <clears throat> to, get, to get groups together something common uh, but, but go back to the way we started all this and talk about productive it is not productive when we are going in opposite directions together opposite directions together <laughs> yeah. I get it yes a productive use of resources it confuses policy makers if they don't know what it is we need what it is we want, or even whether or not what the things we're talking about are true. So it, so it, uh, so bringing groups together to find commonality, and I don't mean, <clears throat> I don't mean in everything, because all those organizations, all those groups, they have their own agendas. You know, right. Really they have things that are important to them as an organization and their members. And if, and, and, and if giving those up for the sake of the group, what's being asked, that's not likely to happen. So, so the most important thing that I have ever done in any of that is to sort out common ground. Where, where do we, where are there elements of agreement that we can identify, build plans around, communicate well together, get done. And, it, and it's about productive. I mean, you've worked in groups, Mark, I know you have, where you worked your ass off two years on something. When it was over with, you didn't get anything done. Yes, I've been a part of that. <laughs> Absolutely. happened. And that's what I like to overcome. Right, right. All some things that happen and, and things that matter, you know, help the fire service be more productive, you know, and it also helps us be more positive <clears throat> because, because uh, even though organizations may be at odds with one another over something, the people in them usually still know one another. Right. And they basically often like one another. <laughs> Not everybody. There are good relationships. There. Right. So, so you take advantage of those relationships. You take advantage of the people who want to do what's best for the fire service and, and help them, facilitate them in finding a way. And don't let them step on each other's primary agendas because that will drive people away. 
That's how the Joint Council disbanded. Joint Council from the 1970s, which was a group of fire organizations who came together and worked on, on really three major issues. And that was standards for fire departments and firefighters, caused those to happen through the NFPA. The, the, the formation and funding of the United States Fire Administration and the National Fire Academy. That's a big deal. <laughs> right, right. Okay. You said and, something that's super interesting to me in our working <clears throat> here in, in, in Flagstaff and our labor management joint efforts. And one of them is just uh, the idea of confusing the elected officials and policymakers. And, and so, you know, we put a lot of effort into if we're if we're doing strategic planning, then we're doing that together, and then we we let that planning, we we let that drive uh, budgeting initiatives, and and uh, you know, early on, I, I mentioned that what we're trying to avoid is the the fire chief going to the city council in a budget meeting saying these are the priorities of the fire department. And the labor leader going to them after the meeting saying, these are the priorities of the fire department and they're different lists. Because in that moment, we're ineffective. In that moment, we're marginalized and really not that important. Um, so we we watched that play out. That's a good message for us. And you know, that's why we have to work so hard to do these things. And what you're talking about uh, is really hard work, bringing, bringing diverse groups and stakeholders together. Otherwise, we call airstrikes in on ourselves. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And then we wonder why we struggle getting things done. There may be an issue that the union believes strongly in, and their process not on your list. There may be an issue that management is going to think them. Right. What's happening? You know, they're a union. You're management. That's the way it goes. Right. When you're talking about fire department priorities. Fire department plan. I would hope that we involve our workforce in creating those. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, so. And that's been that's been the success of some of the things I've been involved with. Is that, is that there's no sense in us getting in a room with major actors and actors out there. We've got to get them there. And that's something that I'm fortunate I'm able to do. People, for one reason or another, let me lead. That's, I don't know why, but they do. And well, you can do a lot of really neat things. I mean, I, you know, I just kind of walked in the meeting. I probably knew that, but as we're kind of talking about some of the things you've been able to be a part of and, you know, important, I'll, I'll say game changing things when it comes to firefighter safety and health, for instance, um, because you've been willing to kind of step into that role. Uh, a lot of positive things have happened for all of us. So we're all grateful for that. Um, you know, uh, I'm. You've been very kind with your time. We've been at it for over an hour, um, but I really wanted to. I, I think I mentioned to you that that um, we, we were um, just kicked off. I think we had our third session of the uh, uh, officer development program that was uh, put together. We've had a couple of chief officers in our region really step up and in the absence of a lot of training availability and training dollars for that matter, um, they put together a virtual officer development program and it's going super well. Um, but one of the first sessions we had was a gentleman, Mr. O'Neill that came in and spoke and 
uh, he was a, a part of uh, the uh, SEAL Team 16 <coughs> that uh, um, conducted the uh, the raid on Bin Laden, and obviously that's uh, quite a story in, of itself. But you know, just talking about some of the parallels of the fire service uh, and some of the SEAL principles, you know, preparation and 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 a couple other parallels that were really um, that really resonated with a lot of the folks, myself included, that listened in on it. But he did mention, a, and, it, and it was kind of interesting, some of the after writing that some of our participants mentioned that they really embraced the, one of the things he was talking about with this idea of a bag of bricks. And uh, I had heard your version of that, which is a fire service version, but I think it's really important for us because like you said, um, I think it's relevant when you have folks that are working 30 plus year careers, this becomes an important concept to embrace. Um, and, um, you know, if we accept our responsibility to keep ourselves and our folks positive, this is an important concept to embrace. Um, and I wonder if you would share that story uh, from your perspective for the benefit of our folks that are that are listening in on this simply because I think your your fire uh, parallels are important and your examples are are vivid. I, uh, I, I was hoping you'd maybe spend a moment and walk us through that. Sure, I'd be happy to. Really, there's two things. Uh, that's one of them. But, uh, but, but if you look at, again, why we're here to talk today, it's positive, productive, health, healthy, and safe. Okay, uh, so how do you keep yourself that way? How do you how do you keep yourself that way over a long career? Because if you agree that that you lead primarily by example, people agree with that concept, and, and I haven't seen it uh, challenged successfully yet. Uh, it only creators. I I found it in writing the first time and some stuff in written in BC. It's been around a while. Right. Lead primarily by example. So how can you possibly keep other people positive, productive, and healthy and safe if you can't do that for yourself first because you lead primarily by example? Right. I don't do that for myself. How can I do it for other people? And those two things, one is, is, is how do you stay positive and productive and healthy? And safe. One is you manage your own future. You don't give that up to someone else. Your own happiness. You don't give that up to someone. Else. And it's your responsibility to find opportunities in your career. And in a 30-year career, if you can find four opportunities, that'll keep you going. But if opportunities in your career that are big deals to you, doesn't matter what anyone else thinks, they're big deals to you. And they brought you back to, to, to that positive, productive mentality and an, an attitude. You know, whether it was promotions or whether it was uh, assignments or, or whether it was something with your family, doesn't matter what it was, but it brought you back. Because over 30 years, that's hard, <laughs> okay? 
So one of them is that, is, is how do you keep yourself in a position where you don't give up your happiness to someone else? You keep control of it. You don't give up your future to someone else. You keep control of it. So one is dealing with the future. The other one's dealing with the past. Everybody has a past. And I learned this early on. Uh, I saw it, I first saw it when I was in the army in 1968 and 69. I noticed it with, uh, with, with uh, commissioned and non-commissioned officers who had been around a long time uh, and others, but primarily those officers. And I didn't know for sure what I was seeing, but I saw it. <laughs> and, then I, and then when I got into the fire service, man, it was glaring to me. Because again, it was those people who had been around a long time. Uh, so actually, uh, mine isn't a bag of bricks, mine is a sack of rocks. And I developed this concept, honestly, in 1978. I remember putting it together and I remember uh, presenting it for the very first time. Okay. I've, I've actually still got the material that I used when I put it together. And, and, and the whole concept revolves around not carrying with you all the bad things that happened to you over a 30 or 35 year period of time because they continue to diminish you. In other words, they, they diminish your heart, they diminish your soul. Uh, they change your attitude and not in a positive way. Because bad things happen to everybody, everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your rank is. Bad things are gonna happen to everybody. And, and the whole concept is that I've seen people throughout my, I mean, I was 18 when I went in the army, but throughout my life who choose to pick up those bad things and put them in a sack that they have attached to their shoulder and they keep them. And then they go through a little bit more time and something else bad happens and they put it in there and, and then something else bad happens later on and they put them in there something else and it's in the sack and it's in the sack and it's in the sack and it's in the sack. And you're 15 years into a career. And, 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 uh, and I know people who act like, walk like, and talk like they're carrying 50 pounds of rocks with them all the time. They are miserable. And they do everything they can to help other people be miserable. But then we won't leave them alone either. We've got them in there. But if something bad happens to someone else and they know about it, when the discussion's taking place about what happened to that other person, when they're finished, they reach in that sack, pull one of those damn things out and start talking about it as if it happened yesterday. And then they put it back in the sack. They don't get rid of it. So the concept is, Mark, that Periodically, you've got to dump that sack and sort through it. That's all. Just sort through it and choose the things that you want to get rid of. Some things are hard to forgive and forget, but others, get rid of them. A friend of mine and I wrote a book that, that has this concept in it. We wrote it in 1985 originally. 
and it's called Mental Aspects of Performance. A guy named Gary Mack and I wrote it. He was a sports psychologist. Uh, and we used my rock and now uh, an example in it. And, uh, and it, it, it's about the whole process of getting through this career, this long career that it has a lot of ups and downs, goods and bads, getting through that career, positive, productive, and healthy and safe. And one of those ways is to quit carrying your past around with you all the time when it's negative. Keep the positive ones, get rid of the negative ones. And so learning how to sort through that. And, they, and, they, and, they, and sometimes people pick up rocks that weren't even theirs. They pick up other people's rocks that happened to them. And they sometimes they didn't think it was a big deal at all, but they grab them and they put them in their own sack and they give them as examples of why this organization's been screwed up forever and it's been screwing me since I was a kid. Well, that's a, that is a, a very relevant story. And that attitude. Yes. Performance. It affects your behavior. It affects your ability to lead, okay? And and so, uh, just to finish off this discussion, uh, to give you two examples of people, two examples of a person who, who wanted a personnel assignment to a fire station when I was a shift in that, it was a long time ago. Uh, and he had the senior letter in for that assignment and I wouldn't send him there. And I didn't send him there because he was, he had recently married the ex-wife of the captain of that fire station. And I would not send him. I knew why he wanted to go there. He was going to screw that guy. And he was going to add a lot of time each day to my work. <laughs> he wasn't going there. He never forgot that. To this day, I see him at retirement functions. He always, you know, likes to make sure I remember that. I feel sorry for him because I don't give a rat's behind. You know, it doesn't matter. But it matters to him and it bothers him. Okay. A station to find. 1981. Okay. I know a fellow who retired out of Phoenix who lost his wife and his daughter within 18 months of each other. His wife died of cancer. His only daughter was killed in a car wreck. 18 months of each other, only child. This guy, I mean, he was devastated. But he was able, with the help of a lot of people in his faith, get to the point where he could function again without that hanging over him. And, and, uh, and sometimes it just doesn't make any sense to me, Mark. Because you got a guy in 1981, he didn't get a station assignment. And it's miserable. You got a guy who lost the two most important people in his life. <clears throat> and he somehow figures out a way to continue to lead people positive, continue to mentor people constantly. And uh, so I think from that standpoint, that's the context of that. If you can't, if you don't manage your own future and your own happiness, if you don't manage your own past, because everybody's got one, you can't stay positive, productive, and healthy over a long period. 
it will get you. And the problem is it impacts other people too, and it impacts people. So keep yourself that way. Keep yourself in that mindset. When you sense yourself slipping, do something about it. And that way you will be able to lead others that way. Do as I say, not as I do, doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. For you to help other people be positive, productive, and healthy, you gotta do it for yourself first. Those are excellent examples. Those are those are phenomenal. <laughs> it's it's hard to be uh, you know, it's hard to be uh, leading by example positive, productive, and safe if I'm a victim. And that's that's kind of a that's kind of a uh, a great way to to take that analogy and, and kind of put it into examples of so many of us can can relate to. So I saw a story, Mark, recently about a judge. Uh, and, was, and the judge had lost his wife. They had been married for like and he was, he was older than that. And, uh, and he began, he got angry, very angry. And he began sentencing people to sentences that were much, they were all the maximum. Every one of them was the maximum that he could possibly do in his court. And someone finally challenged him on it, defense attorneys. And even the district attorney challenged him on it. And when you and 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 when all is said and done, they could have fired that guy. They could have got rid of that judge. But instead, they sought to find out what his problem was, what was happening, and they got him the help he needed and solved the problem. And I couldn't help but think of my analogy while I was watching that. Right. He had a huge old rock in his sack and he was throwing it at everyone that came in there. Dennis, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you coming and doing this with me today. And um, I, uh, if, I, if this somehow launches your, your podcasting career into the next level, then I'll, I'll want to have... Uh, at least an acknowledgement, but um, this has been helpful. I mean, these I, I I've been uh, listening to this, and you know, I've heard some of these before, and these examples are very um, prevalent, useful, real, um, and you've been a source of uh, good advice and counsel for so long. And your example here, I'm grateful that. I get to share you with some of our up and coming uh, and all of our, our fire departments, but folks that they want to learn more about how to be more effective and how to do a better job. They're going to get to hear this from you. And I'm very thankful for that. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. Mark. It's always good to deal with you. And I love dealing with your fire department. And I don't know if this will be helpful to you or beneficial in some way, but I hope it is. Okay, that was Dennis Compton, so I hope that was uh, um, useful and uh, enjoyable for you. Uh, I always enjoy uh, any time I get to spend with Dennis, and, and um, uh, I really have uh, uh, the greatest respect for his service, and I hope you enjoyed what he had to say today. 
Now here's Kevin Treadway and Brad Hill, and uh, this is a little period of time we had uh, to allow them to kind of reflect on their service. Two great guys. I really enjoyed working with them. I enjoyed this segment. I hope you enjoyed as well. Right on. So we're recording. So uh, thank you guys for being here. For our folks that are listening, uh, I've got Brad Hill and I've got uh, Kevin Treadway, our our water uh, services director and our police department uh, uh, police chief. And uh, Two guys that are not going to be here much longer. Brad, when are you going to, when's your final day? My final day will be the end of July, so it's right around the corner. Right on. And then, uh, Kevin, you'll be gone before then. Yeah, yeah. June 26th is my last day, so I'm in the middle of uh, uh, four weeks uh, left. So, getting well, get here. For- <laughs> well, I lost you, Kevin. Say again. I said, I said, it's, it's uh, getting here fast. It's hard, yeah. hard to believe how fast time is flying. I bet. I bet. Well, uh, I'm, I'm glad we got this pull up. I had this idea before the pandemic started. I don't know if you guys remember, we had a meeting schedule. We were going to meet in my office, and we were going to have a, a little uh, tape-recorded audio session, and then, boom, the pandemic hits, and, you know, all of us are scrambling to our uh, new existence, and, figure out how to be safe and and uh, do this kind of work and and i i am glad we got this done i was getting a little bit nervous about running out of time uh because you know i figured when the clock ticked and you got uh that first retirement check coming in you wouldn't talk to me anymore so <laughs> I, I wanted to make sure that, that i got you <laughs> uh, so uh now now, I'm going to start. I'm going to start just by saying I, I feel really blessed to have worked with both of you guys. I view, I view you both as uh, exceptional in your field, and then on top of all that, you're just really great guys. And and it's been my kind of privilege to to work with you guys. And and uh, I wanted to just um, maybe give you each a, a chance to kind of reflect on your your time here in Flagstaff, and you know. Uh, you know, your experience and, you know, you're leaving and you're senior leaders in our work, in our local government work and any lessons you've learned, um, any, any tidbits you can share to our folks, our firefighters that are, that are uh, in the trenches that are continuing this work after you leave. Well, you know, I'd love for you to share that with us. So, um, you know, Brad, you know, you, can you go first as far as uh, um, any reflections on your time here? Um, sure. Uh, so <clears throat> I've been with the city for 12 years, this city of Flagstaff. I, when, when I came to Flagstaff, I wasn't a leader, uh, not in the sense of a director of a division. Uh, three years after I got here, uh, the city manager at that time kind of asked me, hey, would you step up? You seem to have those qualities, and would you be interested in doing that? I said no, and, <laughs> and, and then he came back after recruitment and said, you know, you really need to do this. So I, okay, someone must see something in me that I didn't see in me. And so that was a great honor and a great introspective reflection of something that I didn't know I had. Who was that? Who was that, that was Kevin Burke. Okay. And he was an amazing, he had, he, he was very trustworthy in me. I obviously had to demonstrated things and, you know, for the last nine plus years now being the director of all things water in the city. Um, 
it's been an honor and a privilege to work with you all, absolutely, and with the citizens and, you know, providing the services that we, the vital services that we do, and in particular with, with you, uh, Chief Galliard, is, you know, we're, we're related in terms of we maintain, we deliver the water, and then you use it in terms of your fire side of your business, uh, you know, our hydrant. So our divisions are, are kind of linked in that, in that way. Absolutely. And then I had a friend that was a wastewater director. You know, they didn't have everything under one. But he always liked to refer to himself as number one at number two, uh, which I always thought was a great, great line. But uh, I, uh, uh, you know, Kevin Burke was kind of a unique guy. I thought he was a really great uh, manager. He had to have been. He hired us, right? So we, uh, we, we have a lot of respect for Kevin uh, and uh, left, left and uh, then – um, which led to, so Kevin hires me, then he leaves. And then, uh, what it's, I think we're on city manager number six or seven. I stopped counting since 2013. So uh, it's been quite a bit of a ride. I'm enjoying our new manager and, uh, I'm, yeah, absolutely. And I've shared with our new manager that I really kind of regret in some ways of not having the opportunity to work with him longer yeah. because he brings some insight tools, you know, just perspective that former city managers have not. Yeah. And, and it was, he's, I think he'll serve the city great. Yeah. Well, hey, Kevin, why don't you talk to us about, you know, uh, your, your, any thoughts about your time? I mean, you go back, uh, I was talking to Stasty the other day and you guys might go back quite a ways. Uh, yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, I have close ties, I think, most people know with the Flagstaff Fire Department. First, let me say that I, I, I also want to um, pay respect to, to both you and uh, Brad, Mark. Uh, I just want to, you know, return the compliments. I, I think the world of both of you, you are both the consummate uh, professionals, and I've just very much enjoyed working with both of you. I've learned a lot from both of you, and so I just want want to say that. But, uh, yeah, you know, once again, I have close ties with the Flagstaff Fire Department. It's what brought me to Flagstaff. So my father uh, took the fire chief's position in 1981. Uh, we were a very close family. He talked me into uh, shifting from my first semester at ASU to trying NAU out. And uh, uh, didn't, didn't like that first semester so much. It just snowed all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've never driven in it before. And, uh, but Anyway, when it warmed up, I realized this is just a beautiful place. And the longer I lived here, I, uh, I learned very quickly that it's, it's, it's special uh, in more ways than just geography. So I uh, had an interest uh, in the fire department. Uh, Pat Stasky and I formed the very first reserve program. It was a program that my father started um, in about 1984-85, I believe it was. And uh, you had to test and be hired, but then you would volunteer your time. Uh, and uh, we went through a uh, six-month uh, fire academy on the weekends and uh, one or two nights a week. Um, and uh, I, I saw that through and graduated from it. But I, I think my father could recognize and I, I realized that perhaps the fire service wasn't, wasn't my calling. Uh, I do want to say I have nothing but the utmost respect and, uh, and have, have envied uh, uh, fire personnel ever since I made that decision <laughs> in so many ways, but, uh, but it worked out for me and uh, with a little bit of a uh, shift in focus uh, was 
very fortunate to test and be hired with the Flagstaff uh, Police Department. And uh, during the course of the academy, I realized that, uh, you know, it was just, it was a better fit. And um, I've absolutely loved my career, 33 and a half years, um, moved up through the ranks and uh, have done just about every assignment um, on the department. And I tell people often that, that that's what I think I like the most about uh, my career is I, I never really did any one assignment longer than about five years, uh, with the exception of, of police. I've been chief. I've been the chief for eight years. But, but even that had a, uh, you know, a break in service with uh, going over to City Hall and serving as the deputy city manager for a while. So, so it's been like being rehired to a different job every five years. And I, I once again think that I like that perhaps uh, best about, um, about my career and my, my service. You know, you were talking, Mark, about uh, all of the city managers that you've worked for. And just in my eight years as the chief, I've worked for six different city managers, five different councils, and four different mayors. And uh, I think perhaps that's, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe, maybe that's my best accomplishment when you get into a political position like, uh, like police chief. And so I'm, uh, probably more proud of anything that I was able to sustain <laughs> and, uh, and leave on my own terms, I guess. You know, that's, that's really super fun, uh, funny comment. Um, you know, I've, I've, uh, I, I don't want to say this in a pessimistic way, but one of the things about both of you guys that I, that I, uh, admire, and I would just say, if you think about it, um, I know a lot of people that were selfless public servants, for a career and did not leave on their terms, uh, you know, and, and so it's really quite a blessing to, you know, arrive at your guys's point in your career and go out in my, in my view, going out, you know, uh, on top, uh, in, in, in good condition, leaving your organizations in good shape, great shape. Uh, so it's really, uh, it's really kind of a, uh, a special thing. I think, you know, I hope both of you will recognize that as you move through and move on that uh, uh, it's very nice to be in the position that you two are in. So uh, that's really, a, that's a special thing. I appreciate you saying that, Mark. In these troubled times, I've still got three and a half weeks left. And so <laughs> I am uh, knocking on wood and doing everything possible to hope that I uh, can continue to leave. Um, with, uh, with things in good shape. But I, uh, you know, more than anything, it's, uh, for me, it's, it's the folks that work here, um, our bench is deep. And, uh, and I'm more grateful than anything else for uh, those that, that uh, surround me in, in leadership over here at the police department. Yeah, and if I can jump in, I, I'd like to say what, <clears throat> what Chief Treadway just said is exactly that. Um, one of the things that's made Flagstaff great is its people and the way when you, when you instill leadership opportunities in people and they rise up, just the example I gave you earlier about the former city manager with me, uh, it's amazing what people can do. And I feel very confident in our division's leadership today and being able to, you know, move on and, and move forward uh, from where we're at. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's when I got to here to Flagstaff. You know, I was uh, I remember I, uh, Kevin Burke hired me, and it was it was kind of an interesting time for me too. It was uh, uh, I was uh, 
in Mormon Lake, Arizona, um, with some some friends, and I got a call from the state chiefs, and and uh, the Granite Mountain 19 incident had just occurred that day, uh, and I had just tested a brutal testing process, I might add here, uh, um, so many panels, and so uh, it, was, it was pretty sadistic, um, and uh, so so uh, I went off to Prescott for a couple of days to help them when they were just kind of firing up the uh, the response to the loss of those firefighters, and I remember walking to my car, and I was heading back to Mormon Lake, and uh, the uh, uh, manager called and offered me the job. And, uh, you know, it was really, uh, it was kind of a, a special time. And then he said, well, I'd like you to work on, we, we need you here on August 23rd. And I pushed back a little bit because I was trying to get the rest of August off. And uh, he said, <laughs> he, he reiterated, if, and I'm nothing if not perceptive with bosses. He reiterated his desire to have me there on August 23rd. And I said, I'll see you there. Uh, and, uh, and, then, and then I, uh, I uh, got there and we had a meeting at uh, the hotel over here. It was a strategic planning meeting. That's where I first met. Oh, I remember you coming. All, all my colleagues. And yeah. it was a great meeting. And then, you know, got to know uh, our senior leadership team. And there's a few folks that aren't there anymore. Um, but I thought, man, I've died and gone to heaven. Look at this team. You know, look how, look how, you know, uh, experienced they are. Look how nice they are. You know, I'll just let you know, it's not always that way. Um, and so uh, it was great. I was just, I was just so pleased, you know, and, and I haven't been disappointed since. Um, I remember that day like yesterday. Uh, I do. Yep. I remember you told uh, the joke about your dad when you said you were going to the <laughs> police department. <laughs> Which you you can uh, you can tell if you want, but if not, I certainly understand. But uh, no, I'm, I'm I'm always eager for the opportunity. So well, tell that was like holy cow! I cannot believe this. So tell 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 uh, tell us that story. I think that's a great story. Yeah. So as I had uh, indicated earlier, I was struggling with um, you know my identity uh, toward the end of that uh, that fire academy and. And uh, my father was a good man, and uh, he, uh, you know, always put uh, pride uh, aside, that kind of thing. And so he, he sat me down and encouraged me. He said that the Flagstaff Police Department was the finest police agency he had ever worked with or, or had seen. And so he encouraged me, actually, uh, to look this direction. And, and quite frankly, it really was not a career that I had ever even given thought to. Um, I did have an arson investigations class in the fire academy that, that fascinated me, and I think he recognized that before I did and put two and two together. But, but sure enough, when I got, to, you know, when I got hired, uh, he started telling people that he'd rather have a daughter in a brothel than a son as a cop. And um, I really, really started feeling sorry for myself until I, until I started thinking, I wonder how that makes my younger sister feel. <laughs> But uh, he never really seemed to care. Um, but hey, good I, I joke's really, a good joke, you know. Yeah. I wish I could have met your dad. I, we, you know, we had uh, uh, folks that I've had a chance to work with here, and they they recall him fondly uh, and his leadership. So I, I know I would have liked to have met him, and I would have liked him. 
He was so. an outstanding uh, role model, but thanks, yeah, Mark. I think he would have. I think he would have liked you as well. Um, and uh, you know, a lot of your leadership traits remind me of of him, quite frankly. So. Well, that's. Uh, I thank you for that. Um, okay, so Brad, I think Brad, I saw one of the funniest looks I ever saw on Brad's face. I was at a meeting one time, and I shared with him that there was a time in my life when I was a state licensed grade one water and wastewater operator. And he looked at me uh, kind of like, what's going on here? You know, uh, up is down and down is up. But uh, I, I uh, have had a really diverse path. I'll say that. Um, and, and what I'd like you guys, you know, what about your past? I mean, I mean, there, you learn lessons along the way. You, uh, you pick up some thicker skin. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, and it's, I know for both of you, you wouldn't trade anything, but there are lessons that, you know, if you were going to, um, share with some of my folks that are, considering or evaluating the leadership path and taking on the additional responsibility of leadership. You know, what, what kind of things can you share with them as far as, um, I wish somebody would have told me this, or here, here's uh, some pretty practical guidance that I learned along the way. Can you guys just spend a couple minutes maybe and just share with us and all of our folks? Cause I, that's, that's the, uh, that's the dilemma of, our senior leadership like you guys walking out the door. So if you could, uh, you know, just, if you don't mind, if you just share some of your thoughts, I'd really appreciate it. Well, I guess then if you ask if I'll start. So my path of, you know, 32 years being in the water resource hydrology, you know, I started at the state government, engineering, private sector, moved on to the state government to, at, Department of Water Resources and then worked for the federal government and the EPA. And one of the things that I found when I came to the city of Peoria in the Phoenix Metro was working locally was where I felt most comfortable, where I felt you were closest to the issues, closest to make change. Um, and so I stayed with Peoria for 10 years before moving to Flagstaff for the last 12. And in the, my experience with Peoria or all of those, um, you know, there's, I did a lot of work at the governor's level at the, in the water, big water resource policy issues on the big metropolitan area. Um, and, and I learned a lot about how to deal with um, how to affect change and how to make thing, make complicated, difficult things simple so the policymakers can make those decisions in, in an informed way. Um, and I think some of the ways that help that is honesty, is being uh, accountable, is being confident in who you are and who your ability is. Um, I think those were some real strong traits that allowed me to um, not only excel, but see, see what others saw in me uh, that I didn't see and, and, and allowed me those growth opportunities. Excellent. So, so, you know, some of that work was um, working on developing policy at the state level. Yeah. So working with uh, the central Arizona project is, you know, the Valley cities get their water supply off the Colorado river. And as we all know, that's a big deal in particular to Arizona right now with the droughts. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of issues going on. And so I was at ground zero in a lot of those was invited by three different governors to sit on different panels 
to help shape broad water policy. And so that helped me at the bigger perspective and then bringing those tools and that experience um, down to the local, you know, uh, politician who may not know how to do those certain things or may not understand, but how to help them since they set policy at the local level, how to help them uh, become better informed in the decisions that, that staff ultimately brings forward. In your time at Peoria, um, I, you know, Peoria, where I work, Peoria was always about 10 to 15 years ahead of us as far as growth, but you were there in a, in a time of explosive growth. Yeah, so it's funny you bring that kind of analogy up because when I started with Peoria in 1997, it was 50,000. When I moved to Flagstaff, and uh, you know, 20 years later, it was um, uh, it was 150,000. It's a huge, huge growth. And so moving to Flagstaff came to about what Flagstaff was the size. Now it grows significantly slower, but what it did is it allowed me to see the vision and the opportunities of. Well, I saw this last committee go through these kinds of changes, excuse me, this last community go through these kinds of changes. Hey, this is kind of where the path, and these are the things that we should be doing today to help either mitigate not doing what the mistakes that we did in Peoria or, or to help, you know, show and point a good direction uh, for flight staff to go. And, and actually that has been very, very helpful in my leadership uh, opportunities when with with flight staff having that experience absolutely absolutely and it, you know one of the things that um, having con you know and I I tell folks you know when you when you get to work and lead in a a uh, uh, a period of explosive growth I mean sometimes we describe it as Disneyland I mean money falls out of the sky everything's new and then you go go to work in a real community that's been around a while the infrastructure is older. Competition yep. for resources is much more, um, much more vibrant and much more active. And so, you know, you you find yourself having to really pick a path and and try to take those lessons that you had and and really prioritize. Well, here's where we need to go. These are big strategic issues, but we're probably going to go a little slower. Um, and that's that's really been uh, kind of the experience that uh, that I've had um, here coming into a, a community that's much more diverse, um, much more, you know, quite a bit more aging infrastructure. Um, I've seen some of the exhibits at the water treatment plant about some of the equipment. Well, I was just going to bring that up because exactly. So with Peoria boom days before, you know, the crash of seven, it was like, we always called it tiger by the tail. We were just holding on to the tail and development was just running. Right. So what that does from a water supply side is it's all brand new infrastructure. Coming to Flagstaff, just what you said, just the opposite. The growth was slow. The infrastructure's old. It's decaying. And, and literally, uh, in, at the crash in 8-9, just as I got there, we didn't have the rates. We didn't have the revenues to do anything. We were structurally upside down. Right. So it became very clear quickly we needed to go forward uh, uh, on how do we adjust revenues and expenses to, to provide those services that everyone expected before things started you know, the collapse and from an infrastructure perspective. And yet in those two environments, your mission was identical. I mean, it wasn't different. Um, so, so it's, it's really kind of interesting to, you know, take those experiences and, um, you know, you've mentioned strategy, you know, you've mentioned uh, long view uh, kind of language and you've always been that I've watched you from a, 
uh, a perspective of just watching your motions as a director and you and your team are very concerned with the future as we should be when we need to make sure that from a sustainability standpoint, there's water comes out of the tap. Uh, so that's, that's uh, it's very much still the same kind of mission, but I find it interesting that, you know, we have to take a different path from a, from a boss perspective. So yeah, yeah, we've been long winded. Um, no, so, not at all. <laughs> so how about you? What are your thoughts from, you know, lessons of, uh, you know, you, you've grown a career here and you, you've come through the ranks um, and work for uh, lots of different kinds of leaders and if you're like uh, me, uh, I suspect Brad's the same way. We kind of pick a little bit out of every leader, yep. uh, whether it's behaviors that we want to emulate or behaviors that we damn sure don't want to emulate. Um, we uh, we all kind of grow. And and so um, how about you? What, what can you share with our folks? Well, uh, you know, the one thing I, I actually was given some thought to this uh, earlier, earlier today, kind of reflecting over a, a number of years here. Um, the one thing that has certainly served me well in ascending through the ranks is just trying to be selfless, you know, trying to uh, focus on uh, what initiatives, programs, uh, objectives, you know, might I contribute to to make the Flagstaff Police Department a more uh, productive uh, organization or effective organization or, or enhance, um, you know, the safety of the, of the community in some way. Um, I, I remember as a very young officer, I uh, went to some training in, in Tucson and saw the very first drug-free school zone sign uh, posted down there in Tucson. So came back and did some research on my own, had to identify a funding source, had to get approval from uh, ADOT because some of our schools are on ADOT uh, property and was able to get those signs brought here to Flagstaff. Um, also a connection to the fire department. Uh, I, I was recognizing in some of my exposure with the fire department in the um, late 1980s that the police department was woefully behind in terms of incident command and uh, our knowledge and application of those principles. And so I remember I, um, I still have the memo. In fact, I wrote a, uh, I wrote a memo to the then chief, uh, Chief Latham with the Flagstaff uh, Police Department. And it was like a two page memo, all in capital letters. <laughs> I was using a little Tandy uh, laptop at the, at the time. And I look back at, you know, with almost shame at that, uh, at that memo, how, you know, sort of, um, innocent it was and uh, in, in many ways unprofessional uh, compared to <laughs> what I try to do today. But, but the gist of it was, hey, uh, I think we can benefit from this program that the fire department is using, uh, you know, and, and what do you think? And before I knew it, I found myself on, um, on, a, on a plane with a uh, lieutenant, one of our lieutenants who was a pilot. And we flew over to Lake Havasu and attended one of the very first uh, law enforcement conferences on uh, on incident command, and so I, I guess the takeaway from that is that you know by 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 trying to you know find uh, those opportunities where uh, I could maybe exert some you know self initiative to uh, once again look for uh, programs or objectives or opportunities to 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 uh, to grab onto to, to make the Flagstaff Police Department a better place. I 
I just, I found that as an opportunity to fill my cup, but also in the long run, certainly uh, helped me ascend through the ranks. But more, more specifically in answer to, you know, to your earlier question, I think, Mark, I just, I, I also reflect on uh, kind of a seminal time in, in my career, a tipping point uh, when I was a sergeant um, on the department and I, uh, criminal investigations. And my, my career is split between uh, detectives and criminal investigations and patrol work. And I really love both of them uh, equally, uh, but, but had a special passion for uh, detectives. And so I was a sergeant in the detectives division in the, um, in the late 90s uh, and loving life. I mean, thought that was the greatest job in the world. And uh, the lieutenant's position uh, uh, opportunity came down the pike. And easily the most difficult decision for me to make in my career was, do I want to leave this, uh, this job, this role that I am enjoying so much? And... Uh, and promote to lieutenant it was going to be a change in uh, in in hours. It was going to be more difficult on my family because I was going back to shift work, uh, and it was scary. It was you know it was it was a change. The, the the biggest change I think on our department is that move from um, from sergeant to lieutenant because you're moving into admin. It might be the same captain to battalion chief for your agency. Yeah, there's two transitions in the fire department. One of them is the you know captain to BC, but you're still on shift. And then the other one is when you when you leave that wonderful schedule and then come in and trudge away um, office hours. So yeah, I think those are very similar. Right, right. And uh, so I yeah, I really I really struggled uh, with that. And uh, now you know, looking back, of course, I know that it was the right decision to. Uh, take that leap of faith and, uh, and and move into administration and move into lieutenant. I mean, in my role as a lieutenant, I, I had this opportunity to go back to the FBI National Academy for 11 weeks. And uh, that command college was definitely a highlight of my career. Uh, unbelievable opportunity uh, there. Uh, just the, you know, the training that I have received and the opportunities I've received from making that decision and, and taking that leap. Uh, so I, I guess my message to others would be, if you find yourself at, that, at those crossroads, you know, don't let that fear of change uh, get in the way. Um, you know, take, take a hard look at those opportunities. Know that, uh, you know, know that with that transition comes, you know, a lot of great things as well. So, Excellent. Hey, I think um, that... Uh, that is close to wrapping up. You guys have been very kind. Um, no one will know unless they listen to this tail end of this podcast, how difficult it was for us to overcome the technology issues to get on the same call. But, uh, <laughs> just we're all gray hair or losing hair. That's why. <laughs> Man alive, you know, the simplest concepts, but, uh, listen, I, I, I'll, I want to wrap up, uh, by saying thanks for doing this for me. Um, you know, it's just kind of a goofy idea, goofy, another goofy idea from the fire chief. And, and, uh, just, uh, I, I want to make, make it absolutely clear to both of you guys how, um, how proud I am to have had the opportunity to work with you, how grateful and blessed I feel to have been, uh, a part of my career intersected with yours. And I want to wish you and your family the very best in retirement, health and happiness for all the rest of your days. And, and I'm really 
uh, I'm grateful to have had this opportunity. Thank you. Yep, thank you, Chief and, and Bradley. And you said it. You said it very. Well. I could uh, say it any different. I, it's it's been my honor to serve with both of you. Uh, you make uh, both of you make Flagstaff so much better. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Mark and Kevin. I I can't really say anything more than what's been said. It's absolutely been an honor, and I've been very humbled. Everything that's been happening is I'm walking out the door in Flagstaff. I'm just very humbled at what a great community we have and what great opportunities we have as leaders. Yeah, so thank you all. Okay, thank you guys both. Well, all right, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Five Bugle Ramblings. This was uh, episode seven, and um, I'm feel very fortunate to bring some of these uh, folks to you and I hope you found them interesting and enjoyable as always I'd love to hear your feedback from the podcast so drop me an email uh, and don't forget don't forget if you've been in an interesting incident let me know shoot me a note or a text and let me know I'll come out and uh, we'll either do it on a zoom call or I'll come out to your station and we'll just kind of uh, talk about that and record that and put that on a future podcast always looking for uh, interesting calls uh, calls where uh, we have uh, seen some of our folks really exemplify our values when they're out there doing the work that you guys do so uh, keep that in mind I'd love to put some of that out uh, in in future podcasts so as we sign off I'd like to leave you with the words of humorous brother Dave Gardner who reminded us that success is getting what you want Happiness is wanting what you get. Until the next podcast, be vigilant, fight complacency, and be careful.